Welcome to the Go Find Out Podcast. I'm Jennifer Jelliff Russell, author, speaker, and entrepreneur, bringing you actionable ideas and interviews with awesome women to help you pursue your dreams and achieve your goals. You can find more episodes of the Go Find Out Podcast by visiting gofindoutpodcast.com. Enjoy the show and go find out. Welcome to the Go Find Out Podcast, episode number 14. I'm your host, Jennifer Jelliff Russell. On today's show, I interview Sonia Connolly about her experience of moving from New York City to a tiny house in Maine. She discusses what it was like to go from city life to living on a homestead and how it's helped her to make personal self-discoveries. This was actually my first in-person interview, so the sound is a little bit different than the usual audio from my sound closet. It was also really fun to have an in-person interview because it's such a more personal experience when you can actually see the other person. I think that's a big reason why the interview is a bit longer than my usual ones. And rather than kind of cut anything, I decided I would just test out to see if you listeners prefer a longer podcast. Let me know what you guys think of that. By the way, if you've liked the show so far, please leave a rating and or a review to let me know how much you're enjoying the show. It means a lot to me and it's really motivational for helping me to continue to produce the show. All right, on to my personal update. So I'm a bit of a bookworm, and I was super excited to get back down to the library and pick up some more books. We still can't actually go into the library, which is a shame because the library for me is, it's almost like my church. But I totally understand the need for precaution and safety. There's still an epidemic going on out there, right? So <laughs> it's good to be cautious. Anyway, so in one of my last episodes, Kristaline Karaskakis recommended that I check out Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. I just finished that this morning, and I really enjoyed it. It's really geared more toward creatives, but also Gilbert talks about how kind of anybody can be a creative and it's not just writers or artists or things that you would typically think of as the arts. But what Gilbert talks about is seeing the creative muse as someone that you should actually court. And for me, the creative muse, of course, is focused on like, you know, writing things for this show, writing my books, writing my fiction, writing my nonfiction. So that concept has just been really helpful for my writer's journey and has helped me to keep my butt in the chair, so to speak, to crank out, you know, 1500 words a day, which is my goal right now to you finish this third book in the Artemis Necklace series. And I think I've only had like one day where I just didn't get to 1500, but then I made it up on the next day. But really thinking about creativity as a muse that, you know, you're going to go to your chair every day and you're going to do this word count. You're going to get it done. And that muse is going to greet you there. I just thought was really helpful. Though, like I said, Big Magic is really written mostly toward writers. All of the lessons and suggestions can really be applied to any creative activity. Gilbert even addresses the idea of creativity itself and how we've learned to believe that creativity can only apply to the arts when really it can be applied to anything, right? Like if you love, let's say, managing projects and you feel like the act of coordinating multiple teams is an art, well, that's probably because it is an art and maybe that's your personal brand of creativity. Or, or if you're a plumber, right, who enjoys the challenge of envisioning how to run new water lines while playing within the constraints of building codes, guess what? That is you using your creativity. So I just really like that Gilbert kind of brought up the idea that creativity and art doesn't necessarily have to just be focused on those things that are traditionally seen as artistic or creative. So I really enjoyed the book. If you guys have any other suggestions for nonfiction books that I should check out, absolutely tweet them to me at GFO podcast and I will go check them out. All right, let's get to the interview with Sonia. All right, guys, on today's episode, I'll be interviewing Sonia Connolly, who went from the nonprofit and corporate world to living in a tiny house on a homestead that she helps the farm owners to maintain. Welcome to the show, Sonia. 
Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm glad to be here in your house. <laughs> um, and actually, guys, so we are recording from Sonia's house, and it's, it's the tiny house on the farm. So the sound of this interview might be just a little bit different than usual. There's definitely going to be some, you know, goat noises, some other animal noises maybe going on here in the background. So just just as a warning, you might might hear some interesting stuff in the background. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, Sonia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am uh, a Midwest gal. I grew up in Chicago and in Indianapolis, and yeah, I uh, did some schooling up in Canada and oh, okay. Indiana, and got a BA in religion, and then uh, a master's in counseling. Okay. And then, yeah, I made a big move. My first job was in San Diego. Oh, that's a big move, yes. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and uh, I was, a, actually, I was a pastor out there. Okay. Uh-huh. I was the director of community care. At a church. And so my job was to support the community to find out what is it that we need as a community um, in that area and then um, find volunteers who are passionate about that and then train them and then sort of work my way out of that arena. And then we got to start new programs. So, yeah, so that meant uh, grief support and elder care support, uh, addiction, um, help. Yeah, so we we were able to do a lot of really beautiful things. Let's see, and then um, 9-11 happened, Mm -hmm. and the New York Police Department asked, their chaplaincy program asked pastors and crisis counselors, and I was also doing crisis counseling, and I had been been a chaplain for a little bit, too. So they asked if um, people could come out and help. Oh, wow. So I went to New York City for just a little bit and helped out. For about three weeks, and did some crisis counseling uh, for the first responders, and um, it was one of those like life changing moments, you know. Yes. Yeah, it was very profound and um, sacred, and I also really enjoyed New York and appreciated the resiliency and the diversity and. Yeah, so a little part of a little note in the back of my brain, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice someday to go back? And so I went back to San Diego, and about a year later, decided an opportunity came up, and so I moved to New York City, and I lived there for about twelve years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I was a hiring and training manager for a company in Midtown and down in Union Square. But and it's such a shift too, really. Yeah. Uh huh. So very different position, really. Yeah, and I think I had been a little burnout. The job was amazing, and I uh, was humbled to be able to be a part of so many beautiful things. You know, it was a really, um, I'm really grateful that I had that chapter in my life. And in some respects, it was a little ill-fitting, so it didn't quite fit me as well as I would have liked. So finding that next thing, I moved to New York City, and actually that sort of was, I just needed a little part-time job. I was only going to work there for a year, Mm -hmm. and I needed a part-time job because I was also had a grant to do some other work. And so this part-time job came up, and once I started working there, asked if I would consider coming on full-time. And then so from that, it organically became a hiring and training manager. So now you're in Maine. So it's pretty pretty big jump, right? Um, and, and here living in a tiny house. Yes. So was there like a specific catalyst that took you from New York to moving out to kind of the middle of nowhere, guys? I, I live not far from her, and we're kind of in the middle of nowhere, Maine. It's officially the middle of nowhere. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a few things. 
I had been with the same company for those 12 years. Mm -hmm. And you know that thing that happens in corporate America where you are promoted to the job that no longer fits? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I started at that company in a more relational role. And so as I was promoted, Mm -hmm. it became more about report. And it just no longer was what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of that feeling. But yet there's also that sense of in order to live in New York City, I had to make this amount of money. So I talked to the people that I'd worked with, my boss and her team, and just let them know that I would be moving on. And so I started interviewing at other jobs. And there was this epiphany of as I'm literally interviewing with this person thinking this is the exact same job that I would be doing had I stayed at this other job. Right. <laughs> you know, and so in order to make the money that I needed to live in, a pl- in New York City, I had to, to do um, a similar job. So with that epiphany, literally speaking to them about my qualifications and how I would be great for this job. So in the middle of the interview. In the middle of the interview, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) I'm telling them all the things that would make me great for this job, but those are the things that I'm not really enjoying or appreciating. Yeah. And then during that time, the building that I rented from in my apartment, the building was sold. And so the people who owned it or purchased it, they sent me a letter and they wanted to purchase my lease. In New York, if you're rent stabilized or controlled, they can purchase your lease from you and then bring it up to market value if they make some changes. So they just reached out. And so in the thought of living still in New York City, Mm -hmm. I wasn't really interested in moving. I, I lived in the East Village. I was happy there. It was just the job didn't quite work for me at that mm. at that point. It wasn't really what I was looking for. And so this idea of moving just meant I'd have to find somewhere else in New York City. Right. And then my father passed away. And I think there was this aha moment of life is short. It was very sudden. And I realized I wanted to try it differently. And what did that mean for me? And I'd always gone on vacations because I had been with that company so long, I got quite a bit of vacation. And I always ended up in small towns by the water. Huh, okay. I also started meditating while I was in New York City and started doing days of mindfulness Mm. just to sort of detox from all the intensity. Yeah. And with my father's death, I think I realized... I wanted to try to live somewhere else. I was thinking New Mexico or Colorado, and then I had an aunt who lived in Maine, Mm -hmm. and I was talking to her about it, and she said, just come on up. Nice. You know, give it a shot. And so, because I had family up here, I thought, you know, let me settle here and just Mm -hmm. see what happens. Yeah. Give it a shot. And so, just to kind of give everybody an idea of what I mean by tiny house. So, we're sitting in a tiny house right now. How many square feet would you say that this is? This is a 10 by 16 little cabin, so that's 160 square feet. Oh, wow. Okay. It's probably the size of your bedroom. So no electricity, right? No, it is off the grid. Okay. And that was, um, it's been this wonderful, like, learning laboratory since I moved here. My goal was to discover what makes me thrive. What do I love? And I wanted to discover. I wanted to explore. Mm -hmm. This was a time I didn't want to wait until I retired. I wanted to do it now. Mm. So I took a year off and uh, did some traveling and then came back. I wanted this time in in Maine to be a learning laboratory of what do I enjoy? What do I appreciate? 
what does it take for me to live and not just live but to thrive Mm -hmm. yeah and so off the grid was sort of this wonderful opportunity to to see you know in a real basic fundamental way Mm -hmm. of what is it I need to have a beautiful life that is sustainable so was it you know, I'm assuming that you probably had more stuff in your New York City apartment. Was it hard to like get rid of things so that you could kind of downsize to something this size? Yes. Yeah. The answer to that is yes. But you know, really that started, you know, living in New York City, I had uh, a small apartment. It was 300 square feet. Mm. And at the time, like all of my friends who weren't in New York City were like, how in the world can you do that? You, nobody can live in 300 square feet. Mm. So you're already living small, yes. just not tiny. Right. So what I did was I just had the same amount of stuff and I had really pretty baskets and I had visible storage and I so it was a cute yeah but I really just had the amount of stuff I had and then I had a storage unit so I still had all my stuff around me but I made it look pretty then I thought I needed more space mm. so I moved for a tiny bit to Brooklyn oh, okay. where I got a thousand square oh, feet that's a big jump actually I, I know mean, yeah I know. And had four closets. And but I But you're went, like, what do I do with all these closets? I know. I put all my stuff in it, even the stuff from storage. Right. And it really was like, ha- it filled up half of the So apartment. then you're like, now I have to buy stuff. Now I have to buy it. Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the American way. Within probably less than a year, I had filled it up completely. Oh my. And this was what I realized, was I wasn't any happier. Mm. And actually, I was a little bit more stressed. Because there was some debt that comes along with some of that purchase. Right. And it didn't bring me joy. Mm. That was the start for me of letting go of things. So in that 1,000 square foot apartment, I was able to just start giving things away, selling things. And, you know, it was before the what brings you joy Mm -hmm. and holding things in your hand. Right. I literally would sit on my floor with just piles of things around me and look at it and be like, okay, have I used it? Does it support my life the way I want it to be? If it doesn't, I don't need it. And so I probably got rid of three-fourths of what I own. So I went back to it being a very bare apartment. And then I ended up moving, you know, back into the city. And and, and then from there, when I moved to Maine, I bought an old Airstream. Um, some people would call it vintage. It was 1976. So in order to be fancier, I'm going to call it a vintage uh, sounds Airstream. Good. But it was pretty beat up and old. And I got it on the cheap, and I maybe spent another $1,000. And that, too, was 160 square feet. So that was really where I started the journey. I'd already started the process of simplicity, Mm -hmm. but now it was like, okay, so there it was by choice. And now it was like, oh, now I have to. So did you have to kind of get rid of stuff all at once? You know, I, I had some things that I couldn't bear to part with. Mm, okay. Those things that I felt like were mementos or were family mm. um, heirlooms that felt important. Yes. And I wasn't quite ready to let go. That makes sense. So a friend had a storage unit, so I just put some things in there. I brought very little in. I just didn't bring very much in at all. As I needed something, I either went to Goodwill or I found it in my storage unit. And I would say within six months, uh, I was ready to let go of those things. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And I still, I, I might have two things left, um, like a hutch or, you mm. know, something where it's like, okay. That's hard to make fit. Yeah. So you're kind of like, you want to hold on to that right, stuff. Yeah, right. I totally get that. Yeah. yeah. 
what would you say, I know we've talked about a couple of different things that could be big adjustments, but what would you say has been your biggest adjustment to live in your new home here? In general, like living in a tinier place, Mm -hmm. in a tiny house, whether it's the Airstream or here in this tiny house, I would say the maintenance of living in in a tiny house means every purchase is thoughtful. And that was probably the biggest adjustment. In some ways, I was a part of that consumer nation of, oh, when I'm sad or, oh, when I'm, you know, oh, I'm going to do this new thing. I probably need a new thing. Right. You know? Yes. (laughs) So, or I want to feel better. So let me do this. Let me purchase this. Mm -hmm. Or, or, oh, there's a sale. How could I say no to this? I mean, come on. It's on sale. You got to get it. It's practically free. Right. I, I probably should have two. So now living in 160 square feet, I have to be super intentional. Mm. Like, oh, if I bring this into my life, what am I going to let go of? I mean, honestly, the other day it was like a candle holder. I just, I saw it, an artist, a local artisan, and it was just so beautiful. But there was this idea of, okay, I can bring that in and what will I, what will I let go of? Mm. Because space is at a premium and I don't want to feel cluttered. Yeah. Do you find that now that you're being more sort of conscious of what you're purchasing, do you find that you shop less at like big box stores and maybe shop more like among community members who are artisans or just like local stores? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. What I've discovered as I've done that process of purchasing a lot and letting go of a lot Mm -hmm. is what I find value in is beauty aesthetic handmade repurposed I love you know going into antique stores and finding something that I can repurpose Mm -hmm. and use now yeah or a consignment shop and finding clothes that you know I don't necessarily have to go buy something new but I can find something that's vintage Mm -hmm. or uh, on consignment yeah or a thrift store so definitely I've found that I purchase much more local Mm. and it's been a lot of fun because also when you have less you can pay a little bit more for this something. This is true. Yeah, because you're yeah. not buying 16 candle holders. Exactly. You're buying one that means something to you. Right. Yeah. So we mentioned that you live on the farm. Mm-hmm. So not just in a tiny home, like on a piece of land, but you're actually living on a farm that's actually also a homestead. Can you give me an idea of kind of what you guys mean by homestead on this farm? I would say uh, it's about sustainability. Mm. And that means, you know, sustainability as far as caring for the earth but also caring for for the family or for us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having that onion or garlic or the pickled beets in January and February, even though we've harvested them in July. Mm, okay. So that's one thing is the sustainability. And also it really is about community and about, you know, when things slow down, one of the, the biggest things that I've loved about moving here onto the, the farm and the homestead is that things have shifted for me, mm-hmm. you know, like you really get to sink in and you get to experience, you know, instead of this idea of multitasking, I get to single task. And so here then we can focus on on harvesting the blueberries and then processing them and and getting them in bags so it's easy throughout the year like we'll have enough blueberries to have all year round Mm. and we'll have enough cherries and enough kimchi and enough kombucha and enough eggs Uh, we have those year round yeah so there's many different vegetables or foods that we use Mm. and I think too um, so my listeners know because I talk about it a lot um, that I also farm, but it's a different kind of farming because even though, you know, we, we grow veggies as well and, and we keep some of them and I'll be canning some of them, we also sell 
-hmm. lot of our veggies. And that's kind of our primary purpose is to grow to sell locally. And that's not necessarily the same goal as a homestead, right? Because it sounds like it's more for you guys to live off the farm Mm -hmm. sustainably as opposed to growing just to sell. Yeah, yeah. You know, this year we have sold a bit more Mm. than we have in previous years. And that's because we planted more and we have more. And so it's been this really wonderful thing of it's been really fun, you know, to be able to reach out to the community and say, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't do a CSA this year, but we've we have three or four people that get bags of uh, veggies every week. It's been really fun. Yeah. And that's actually how I met Sonia was I saw that you guys had the chalkboards out and one of my friends had been here a couple of times. And so she brought me out to see what you guys had and ended up buying some really delicious sourdough bread from them. Um, Mm -hmm. So so yeah, definitely it has kind of helped you to connect probably more to the community. Yes, definitely. And I think a part of homesteading too is so much about the community. Like there's an idea that homesteading is about self-sufficiency and in so many ways it is. Mm -hmm. It's definitely about like this homestead allows us to live throughout the year. Mm. And, you know, we do go to the grocery like they're, you know, definitely for like rice and for other things. But this farm truly does sustain us Mm. but it's also about community like there's also a lovely relationship that happens with the community where there's bartering that happens where somebody might want to use the the tractor Mm. and so in exchange for that when it snows they plow for us that's cool and then you know there's like there's three or four different ways where in the community someone has something and then we have something we're able to create this mutually beneficial relationship that supports them and it supports us they want to build another cabin on the property and there's 140 acres here and so they have lots of trees and a neighbor has a mill and then there's another neighbor that does construction Mm -hmm. and so there's this really beautiful relationship where like this wood can go to the mill Mm -hmm. that's next door so it supports it supports his business right and then the person who's going to be helping make, um, build the cabin mm-hmm. is also supported. Huh. And then ultimately the, the homestead is supported because there's this beautiful new cabin. Right. And it's also helped the community. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Nice nice big circle. I think that's just yeah, really cool. Yeah. Definitely. What would you say that homesteading life has been like compared to your previous like office life and living in New York or, or San Diego? Oh, huge difference. <laughs> I would say one of the biggest is... You know, in, in that role in the office, mm-hmm. there was always there was always multitasking, and which for me just never goes super well. Mm-hmm. You know, like something always kind of gets missed, right. and so there's this busyness that ends up happening. And there's there was always this need to be three steps ahead, or there was like somebody in front of me, and in my peripheral, I could see somebody else waiting to talk to me. And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm trying to plant my feet in front of this person right. and give them my full attention, but then I'm also thinking of oh, this person needs this this and this Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to come up with a solution for that while I'm trying to stay present with this person which it's hard to do and the other thing in New York City is I had this focus in my life on simplicity and minimalism and I was meditating and a student of Thich Nhat Hanh Mm -hmm. and really trying to be present in my life and slow down mm-hmm. my internal world and my external world was very busy and so I feel like here on the farm there's been this 
really interesting shift of my insides and my outsides matching you know so I'm able to single task I'm able to just focus on this weeding of the carrots Mm. and if you've ever weeded carrots it's an intense (laughs) you are on your hands and knees and you are it it takes quite a bit so that idea that I can be singly focused on this Mm -hmm. and then when I'm done with that you know what is it we need to do next Mm -hmm. and then I do that next thing and then I get to be singly focused on that that is such a gift and it's a gift that I didn't necessarily give myself in New York and in hindsight and now knowing what I know now I might live New York City differently yeah yeah you know I probably would have just stayed present with Mm. that person in front of me and then moved on to that next person Mm. or done that task that was in front of me and done it really well and then moved on to the next one it sounds like it would be a struggle to try to do that now in New York simply because there is that sort of societal expectation that you should be thinking about the next task and you Mm -hmm. should be thinking about the next person and you know acknowledge that they're there and already have an answer for them you know even though you're talking to the person in front of you I wonder how difficult that would be to kind of try to to go back to New York but be living this more internal and externally present life yeah I think you're you're right and you know I've I think about the people who have done that for me Mm. where they have just stood and held space for me Mm -hmm. as I shared with them what I needed or and then they took a moment to gather the words to tell me what you know to respond to me in a thoughtful way mm. and yeah and that it's like I have to remind myself oh I felt heard I felt connected to mm-hmm. I felt supported I felt like this this person might not be in my shoes but they understand now better because they were solely present with me mm. so it's like okay if someone can do that for me regardless of the external crazy mm-hmm. then then I can do that for someone to like that's how I want to be because I've experienced it and it's been beautiful have you noticed any differences so obviously we've been talking about like the the mental health difference I'm sure Mm -hmm. right but have you noticed any like physical differences too like like when you go to bed at night are you better able to sleep because you don't have all these things happening in your head necessarily of like oh my god I have to do these 18,000 things tomorrow and I have 17 projects that I have to do Mm -hmm. and um or or has there not been that much yeah. of a shift? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so in some ways, the answer to that is it's an inside job for me mm. and I can make anything much more complicated, you know, and I can create a to-do list for, you know, guarding yeah. the carrot. I mean, I can create a system plan for mm-hmm. anything and make it 10 times more complicated or, you know, or anxiety. Like I can have anxiety about some very simple things things the outside world might think okay Sonia come on right but at that point that's where I am and so I think some of that reality is it's an inside job and so much of just as I you know meditated in New York I was intentional about simplicity and I have to still be that way here too you know so I still have to journal and I still meditate and I still try to be single tasked Mm. and because I can still when those things when I'm not doing those things I can still kind of kind of spiral potentially yeah, I definitely can see the spiral yeah so it, it's really doesn't matter where you are uh-huh it's more about working on the internal side regardless of whether you're in the country in Maine or yeah. whether you're in the middle of the city is yeah. working on the internal stuff right you don't just move to the country and suddenly everything's fantastic and you don't oh. have any worries you know no. so, <laughs> and, I mean yeah. to be honest with you my first year moving from New York City to Maine it was a painful transition for me because a lot of my personhood was wrapped up into 
my job. Yeah. And I had a, an expectation of myself that I was moving here to discover my loves and my passions mm-hmm. and to work on my art. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to do really amazing things. Yeah. And honestly, the first year I, my, you know, my father had passed away, so I did a lot of grieving. Mm-hmm. So there's tears. There was napping. I napped every day. And I probably slept 12 hours a day and napped three hours a day. And it was culture shock, you know, like my, it was the walk fast, do things fast, you know, don't, don't make eye contact. You know, there was a lot of things that I learned in New York City that I had to unlearn here. And uh, the, my first driving experience in Maine was I borrowed my aunt's car and, uh, before I'd bought mine and somebody waved at me and I spent all day long trying to figure out who this person was <laughs> that waved at me. Right. And then the next day someone else waved and I realized oh that's just what they do here people just (laughs) Just wave wave. yeah they just wave because they're good kind people (laughs) hey other person on the road (laughs) just wanted to say hi right that's funny um and so when you I'm assuming you probably like told like maybe friends and family Mm -hmm. you know what I'm gonna move to Maine what kind of responses did you get and did you have any like naysayers about that oh yes yeah (laughs) Uh, but mostly I would say the people who really knew me Mm -hmm. and knew my journey and knew why I was coming to Maine understood Mm. and then they understood this step of me coming to the farm and gardening you know if Maine for me is this learning laboratory of like who am I what do I want I've honestly never gardened before in my life yeah like not even like did you have like plants in New York or no oh no no okay (laughs) I had zero plants okay I did not garden. I, I didn't eat when I was a kid. My parents gave me a plant and I didn't get any instruction really. I just got the instruction on that little plastic thing mm. that you stick in the plant mm-hmm. that says like, and it's like code. Like yeah. Adults might get it, but an it's eight got, year like, old. It's got like pictures for like how much sunlight and stuff didn't to get. get. I didn't get anything. So I thought it was like any other gift, like a doll where you sit it on the counter <laughs> and you just like look at it. Right. So it died yes. eventually. Right. So then as a joke, my family thought it would be funny to get me a cactus. And again, not a whole lot of instruction Mm -hmm. so you can imagine what happened Mm -hmm. I was gonna say I don't see a cactus here right now Uh -uh. so no Uh -uh. I watered the heck out of it because I learned lessons right right and I realized I gotta water this thing and so I watered it until it died (laughs) so this old story I have is I don't have a green thumb Mm. you know I can't have plants mm-hmm. I kill them yeah like the script you tell yourself so. yeah mm-hmm. uh-huh it's an old story and so moving to the farm and learning how to garden has been a retelling a rescripting of that story and I think that's it's been beautiful to realize oh yeah not true one more of those stories that we tell ourselves yeah based on a small story as a child that was impactful that uh, is not true. And then it makes me think how many other stories in my life am I still believing because I haven't pushed it. I haven't pushed on it to see, is this real? How how solid is this? So I'm grateful for that experience for sure. It is interesting the things that we then tell ourselves about ourselves uh-huh. based off of a one moment experience. Yeah. And so for the naysayer, so my family and my friends who understood the mindset of my experience here in Maine were super supportive. And you know, the folks who weren't, 
I think sometimes, and I have done this too, where based on my own fear or my own life, I look at, I look through the filter of my own experience and I look at someone else's life and think, oh, I could never do that. Mm-hmm. You know, therefore they, they're not going to love that. Right. They can't love that because I don't love that. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I wouldn't be able to, so I'm not sure. Or it might, sometimes people fear that it might cause them to ask questions, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and as I've done also. So a lot of times with people who naysay, there's compassion. Like, can I have compassion? because I've been there too. And can I hold space for them as I would want someone to hold space for me? Right. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say that your biggest fear was about moving to the farm? Um, and did you have any like mm. major fears? Oh, yeah. Well, the whole, can I do it? Can I, uh, can I do this? I've never done something like this before. And, you know, I just waxed eloquent about compassion. Right. But then there's that also that little voice in me that says, are they right? Is this, can I do this? Is this the right thing for my life? You know, our society says, success is when you do the next thing that's bigger than the thing you've done. Mm. So there's this constant movement upward. And so my life has looked like two different careers and then this exploration that's not making me necessarily more money. Mm -hmm. It's not giving me accolades. It's not in the public. And so where is worth in that? And so I've had to find that out for myself you know like what is the worth? oh the worth is in the discovery it's in the who am I and what do I want it's in the being a part of community it's in sustainability like how do I live lightly on this earth yeah and so my measurement of success has really changed well, how do I measure my success? How do I measure what's important is completely turned on its yeah. side. So it kind of changes your fears then. Yeah. Would you say you have fears now that you're living on the farm? Like they're going you know, to look very different than what they did when you were living in the city, I'm assuming. What would be my fears? You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, so if this is a learning laboratory mm-hmm. and this is exploration, is this, you know, long term? Mm. Is this something I'm going to do long term? And if it isn't, you know, what about my education? You know, interestingly, I think some of the fear is about when my old perspective of what is success and my new perspective of what I want now and what is success, Mm -hmm. um, when they kind of butt heads. And it's like that question of, oh, what if I want to go back doing these other things? Will I be irrelevant? Uh, Will people not take me seriously because I've, you know, worked on a homestead and I live on a farm Mm -hmm. and I live off the grid and... You know, I'm I'm working part time. You know, are they then gonna say, Oh no, you you're not qualified anymore? And, you know, I I don't have an answer for that. Just curious because I think that right now tiny house living is very popular. Minimizing, you know, your your things is then synonymous with minimizing your problems. There's just this idea, I think, that if you move to a tiny house, all your problems will be solved and you won't have any fears, right? And clearly that's not how it works. Uh-uh. So, no. <laughs> like whatever's in your head and what's going on internally, it seems, when you are living big, that follows you mm-hmm. when you live small. Yeah, yeah. And some don't in the nature of like my overhead is less. True. So when I said I have a part-time job, Mm -hmm. I don't have to work as much at that job. So it does allow me freedom. So in that way, there is less stress. Yeah. And then I also can save money. And Mm -hmm. so last year I went to India because I was able to save money because my life is very different than in New York City when I had to get the same kind of job so I could live the same, you know, the way that I live. Yeah, just to to be rent poor. (laughs) Yes, right. (laughs) 
Gotcha. And do you feel like you have any specific habits that help you to live this particular lifestyle? Mm. Curiosity. I think gentleness is another one, like mm. gentleness with myself, because I am trying new things all the time and I am experiencing, like, I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. Let me give that a shot. Oh, I, I stink at that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a lot of resistance to do that. I wonder why. Like, yeah. it's just that curiosity of like exploration. What other habit? You know, being a learner. And also, I would say communicating. You know, living on a homestead and it being an intentional community mm. in that the people who own the farm and I are trying to work together to create this really beautiful space yeah. and environment. And so. You know, we share meals together at times and yeah, we just spend a lot of time together. Nice. So that means we have to, when things aren't going well, we have to be able to communicate and we have to be able to be honest and look inside and like look at my side of the street and listen for understanding rather than listening in defensiveness. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think personal like awareness and mm -hmm. authenticity and communication, trying to live together. And what would you say has been the best part about moving out here and li living this lifestyle? Well, the first is that it's just fun. I'm having so much fun. I went uh, yesterday and I picked some blueberries. They're not quite ready to harvest, but there are sections that are ready to eat. So I just went up with a little mason jar and I picked some for a couple of days. Nice. And as I was walking back, the clouds were moving in and we have a <laughs> pond on the property. And it just was this moment of oh my gosh, I live here. I can't yeah. believe this is my life. This is It's a beautiful, gentle place to be, mm. to land. Do you find that you have more moments like that where you kind of not pause to reflect, but where you just kind of pause and find gratitude almost? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I also have to cultivate it, you know, because there are some times when I don't see it. You know, I'll spend you, a... Eating carrots, apparently. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll spend days... You know, like when you're driving sometimes and you're like, ha like it freaks you out because you're like, oh, I don't remember the last couple of minutes. Yes. Like that's sometimes how life, that's how we live life sometimes where you don't even realize what you're doing or perspective. Like two days ago, I'll have thought my life is great. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? I've, you know, <laughs> where am I headed? You know, and suddenly I'm. I'm seeing everything differently. I'm seeing it through a different lens. Mm. So cultivating gratitude and like writing down things, you right. know, what, what I'm grateful for and, and just making sure I'm intentional about gratitude helps me in the times when I'm not feeling it, where it isn't an auto response mm -hmm. and I need some help. Okay. What do you think that you would have missed out on had you not moved out here? Well, I think the biggest one would be challenging those old stories of I can't possibly do that or that isn't success. Mm. Like there's even that little of a voice in my head that would say like, how dare you? think that you can do something so different mm. so compared to you know what my view before of success was mm -hmm. I also would have missed out on the relationships um, I've developed some amazing friendships um, being here and whether it's people who've come on to the to the farm like yourself or the neighbors that we have or Dan and Emily who own the farm mm. I really I feel like I've learned so much from them not just about homesteading, but about how they live their life. And in some ways, I feel like, you know, I'm just now growing up, you know? Yeah, they've, it's been uh, really special. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have two questions. This is kind of a two-parter. Do you have any kind of advice for people who are interested in tiny house living specifically? Well, I have several things. The first is start where you are. 
whether it's decluttering or, you know, kind of looking at what is it I need for my life to be great and what's the stuff that keeps me from that greatness. Like, are there things in my life that actually if they were gone, it would help me? Like, I wouldn't feel as stressed about owning it. So some of that internal work and the decluttering can be very helpful. And then, yeah, just have fun enjoy it. My first year I before I got the Airstream, I just was on Pinterest a lot and I was on all sorts of tiny house blogs and and YouTube videos and just getting a feel and dreaming and playing with it and seeing myself do it and sort of envisioning what could it look like if I were to believe I could do it. If I came from the place of anything's possible, what could it look like? And honestly, it's better than that. Really? Yeah, it's better than that. I'm having so much fun. And living off the grid, this is another element of it. I'll just say that living off the grid Mm -hmm. has been so much fun. And I can't believe I'm saying that, you know, because I am a city girl or suburb girl all my life. So to be able to bring in water and know how much water I use in a day and to be able to wake up, you know, when the sun is coming up and then at night put candles on. Mm. I feel like the cycles of life I'm I'm more in tune with. I feel like, you know, like jump rope. You know, I feel like I've, I've gotten that rhythm mm-hmm. down of the cycles and even the cycles of the earth. What, do you think that you would ever want to do like solar or anything like that? Or you kind of like, no, you're really happy with being off grid? Well, I, I do have a solar panel and I have a solar generator mm. that creates 300 watts. So that actually allows me to charge my phone, my laptop. I have a few LED lights that have USB charging. And then I have a fan and a little vacuum. So all of it charges all of those things. And then a juicer. So I I look at the weather and see, oh, when is it sunny (laughs) in the next couple days? Even if I don't 100% need, you know, it charged all the way up. It's time to charge it. It's interesting. And then too, because you don't really think about all of the devices that require charging. Just hearing you like list off, like, you know, exactly what devices that Mm -hmm. you have and and objects that you have and stuff that you have that requires charging. Yeah. So it's just very interesting to to just hear that, Uh you know, because I I couldn't name all the things in my home that Mm -hmm. require electricity right now. I also have a propane fridge from Unique. It was a game changer Mm. in the off the grid living. Uh, It really helped with being able to make food and have it feel more sustainable. And then um, I bring in water and then I have a direct vent heater that's also propane with a wood stove. I felt like it, it would be hard to regulate the heat. So I just decided for the beginning to go with a direct vent that's thermostat controlled. And yeah, and so I could also do the propane fridge I could also get a solar powered fridge. So I the solar panel that I have can it can grow. Mm. And so I can buy others and attach and parallel them. And then I can actually get batteries and, and save the the energy that I'm producing and use it. So I have my place. I actually made it so it was um, it has outlets and I can use it for solar or if I ever do want to be on on the grid I can switch over if you mm-hmm. sort of part two of that question. Do you have any advice for people who want to 
to become full-time farmers or more specifically homesteaders? In some ways, it's the same advice. Just start now. Just do the things that interest you, that spark you and your your interest. I would say, how can you do it now? So whether it's, you know, growing your own herbs or having a garden bed. In New York City, when I was living there, I decided I didn't really cook and I, I, I thought I kind of want to learn and mm-hmm. I want to I want to learn more about food and and sustainability. So I volunteered at a food co-op and I worked there four hours a week and it was so much fun and I learned so much. I, I would go in and somebody would bring over magnesium flakes and I'd say, what are you going to use those for? Right. And it was like, it was my Google. These people that I was interacting with taught me so much. That's awesome. I learned, oh, if you use magnesium, it can support your body. We, most of us are magnesium deficient. And so just spraying, like making your own magnesium spray instead of buying it, you know, and, and since then I've been doing that and I put essential oils in it and I spray once a day and hmm. yeah, it helps with mood and sleep. So things like that. And, or somebody would bring an eggplant over and I'd buy an eggplant and be like, oh, I've never had eggplant before. What do mm-hmm. you do with that? People were f- so friendly and lovely, but the asking of questions and the, you know, going and volunteering there, it like was a step in my journey. I didn't know it at the time, but I look back and I'm like, I learned a lot there that intrigued me that allowed me then to take other steps too. So I would just say wherever you are right now, just do one or two things that like give you joy and experience. Joy and experience. Yeah. Where can people find you online? Well, first you can find the farm at featherfootfarm.com or on Facebook we do a lot of posting on Facebook on their page at Featherfoot Farm. When there I think there's two or three Featherfoot Farms, but we are in Aurora, Maine. And I'll make sure to drop that in the show notes so you can find that and check out their farm and and check out the products that yeah. they have on the page. The theme for me anyway as I've looked at this journey has been it's been very organic. Mm. And so as I've been here on the farm and I've always enjoyed tinctures and tea and like lotions and things and what I discovered is oh I could make those and so as we've been making them and making them in small batch it was like oh you know why don't we why don't we sell these yeah because they've been so beneficial for us Mm -hmm. so we're gonna start selling our tinctures and our teas and our salves and then yeah and then for me personally I do a lot with ritual and ceremony so when I want to set some intentions or I want to let go of something Mm -hmm. or I want to focus on gratitude I create a ritual around that or a ceremony and so because I do that in my own life I was like oh well why don't I create kits so people can do that as well that's a great so idea so I've created kits with notebooks and I because I'm off the grid I make beeswax candles for myself oh, wow. so I was like oh well why don't I make beeswax candles for other people mm-hmm. so it's just been this wonderfully organic expression of my creativity because I always thought if I'm going to be an artist I need to um, you know sell my paintings and I've discovered that my creativity comes out in so many different yeah that's yeah. awesome so if you go on to Sonia Conley on Facebook and friend me on Facebook or Featherfoot Farm, uh, we will be communicating all those things to you. We'll, um, I'm working on my website and then we'll also tell you more about uh, the things that we'll be selling. Awesome. Well, I look forward to hearing about those because yeah. I know that I'll be buying some tea from you guys. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show, Sonia. Yeah. Thank you. It was an honor. I really enjoyed interviewing Sonia in person, though I I do need to work on getting better sound quality for in-person interviews. I definitely would like to do more interviews like this as it's a bit more personalized. And I think it puts guests a little bit more at ease when they can react to your actual facial expressions rather than just going off of the tone of your voice. 
One of the things that Sonia mentioned in her interview was to start where you are. And ironically, that's actually the concept that I was planning on talking about for my next solo show, which will be episode number 20. So I'll save my take on that concept for that episode, um, and you'll just have to tune in to hear it. (laughs) So however, there were two other things that Sonia touched on that I really wanted to circle back around to. The first is the idea of determining what it is that you need in order to thrive in your life. Most of us are very used to the idea that we can only thrive if we have achieved all of our goals and have achieved like the big American dream of like the HGTV like style house that's immaculately clean and filled with stuff that we've been told that we need in order to be happy, right? But the truth is that most of the time, once you buy all that stuff and get past that little adrenaline rush from the purchase, those items usually lose their luster unless they're something that you really appreciate and cherish. Like, sure, there are some things in my house that were definitely worth the purchase because they get frequently used, right? Like the TV and this laptop that I'm recording on. But I'm definitely guilty of having random just stuff, right, that's still like packed away in boxes from when we moved here to Maine three years ago. And like, clearly, if it's packed away in boxes, then I'm not using it. So why do I still have it? right? And I'm definitely guilty of purging random stuff that I don't use right then only to go out and buy, you know, yet more things that then set on a shelf. So it's the sort of purging and then purchasing new stuff to replace the stuff that I got rid of. And I guess the question really is, do you really need all of this stuff to thrive? Or all those subscriptions that you don't use, do you need those? Or the personal products like makeup? Like I can't tell you how many lipsticks I have that I have used once and been like, man, maybe not, right? (laughs) Um, So things like that, that we purchase and then don't use. Now, if those are the things that make you happy and they help you thrive, then that's great. Absolutely. You know, buy them and use them. But if you're not really getting anything out of it, then you really want to ask yourself, what does help you thrive, right? What does, to borrow the, the Marie Kondo saying, what does spark joy? And rather than mindlessly buying another throwaway item, next time that you start to make a purchase, really ask yourself if that item is something that you need and or something that will really bring you joy. The other concept that Sonia touched on was that of cultivating gratitude, which I I just think is a really important phrase in and of itself. I don't think that you have to be a positive poly all the time. That's not really realistic, right? Um, But I do think it's important to your mental health to stop occasionally and experience a feeling of gratitude for what you have. The piece of the phrase that's really important to me is that of cultivating, right? So sitting in a space of gratitude can be really hard sometimes. And you know what? Some days you just might not be able to do it. And some days it might be a true struggle to come up with even one thing that you feel grateful for. But the effort is worth it because the more that you can find things to be grateful for, the more likely you'll be to experience more moments of happiness. As Sonia mentioned, she does. You might start a gratitude journal and get into the habit of writing down what you're grateful for once a day. I found that doing this can help me start out with a much better mindset if I do this in the morning. No, it doesn't necessarily stave off those like no good, very bad days. But at least in those sort of shitty moments, you might find a little note of pleasure in thinking back to one or two things that you wrote down that morning that you're grateful for. And this concept of cultivating gratitude really ties back into that idea of determining what it is that you need in order to thrive. Like I might be grateful that I have a TV, but I don't need that TV to really thrive. However, I do feel that I do need books and great stories in my life to thrive. That's something that I feel constantly grateful for. Or having our farm and being able to take a break and walk out to the garden when I'm struggling with writing. I need that to thrive. And I'm definitely grateful for it. And honestly, I think my husband, Jason, is grateful for it too when I'm in a pissed off mood and disappear out into the garden and come back to the house in a much better, uh, nicer 
state of mind. So that's your homework, listeners. Consider what are the things in your life that you need to thrive. Are you missing anything that you think would increase your likelihood to thrive? And can you add a few minutes to your day to start cultivating gratitude? If you want to share what you're grateful for, tweet me at GFO Podcast and share your gratitude with me and the Twitterverse. All right, that's it for today. I hope that you guys enjoyed today's interview. And if you did, leave me a rating or a review so I'll know that I should keep producing these podcasts. Join me next time when I will be interviewing Danielle Triffitt about how she got into ultra marathon running. All right, until next time, go find out. Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope you found the information beneficial and that it helps you tackle your own go find out goals. You can find more episodes and the show transcripts at gofindoutpodcast.com. You can also let me know what you thought of the show by tweeting me at GFO Podcast or follow me on Instagram at gofindoutpodcast. That's it for today. Now go find out. <laughs>